Let's invite our speaker for this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you are a real God, that you're a loving God, that you're powerful, and yet you're good. We thank you that you speak and that you've created us to speak and to listen. We thank you that we can hear when you speak. We thank you that you hear when we speak. We thank you for our relationship, which is real. And it wouldn't have been possible if Jesus hadn't said yes to the Father. So we are eternally indebted to the Son of God. We thank you for Christ. Now speak to us. Unpack our hearts before our very eyes. Allow us to see us for who we are. Allow us to see who we are in Christ. And allow us to rise as new people. Rise as new, strong people in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've borrowed a series from Pastor Rick Warren, uh, a guru of mine, uh, an author and a mentor of mine over the last 20 years. He's helped me understand church health, and I have really benefit under, benefited under his tutelage. Making the hard changes in me is what I'm talking about today, uh, and it's part of a series called Resetting My Life. Resetting My Life. And if you're taking notes, that's the best way to go about it. But at the end of it, just so that you're on the same page, I'm sending you my outline as well, so you'll get that on WhatsApp. And if you're new here for the first time, you're an honored guest, then you want to make sure that you get the church number and ask to be put on the BC, on the broadcast list, so that you can get all of that stuff every time. Then I stop and I ask myself, I'm, I'm 53 years old, I've learned so much in life, I've been surrounded by loving people, I've been in the hands of a loving God ever since I gave my life to him at the age of five and then 11 and 17. I made recommitments. Why are some things in me so hard to change? Why are some things in me so hard to change? Why does God say I find it difficult? What does he think is the reason I find it difficult to change? Why do I hold on to some self-defeating habits? Why do I hold on to some self-defeating habits? I know it's bad for me. I know it undoes me. I know that I could be better if I wasn't stuck in that rut. I know in that moment, I say yes to myself for no good reason. And I feel like CRAP after that, a lot of the time. But yet I go and do it, say it, feel it. Why am I like that? Why do I struggle with certain things? Other things, oh, boy, wow, I can change it anytime, overnight. I can just move. I can change. I can, I can discipline myself. I can get in, my, get in the game. I can do it. But some things just, hmm. Let me give you four reasons why we think perhaps, and there could be more, but four reasons why it's so hard to change the self-defeating habits, the things that are in my life, the things that I really trip on every time, and the things that really get me down, the things that seem to know how to trip me up. Number one is because I've had it for so long. The first thing is because I've had it for so long. It's been so long that it's been part of me that it has become me. It's been so long that it's been a part of me that it's become me. And I don't understand why my identity is so attached to those self-defeating habits to the point where I've now started to find myself by those self-defeating habits. I've had them for so long. In fact, some of those go way back into my childhood because that's the way I got mom's attention or that's the way I escaped dad's discipline or dad's quirks. 
or when she was constantly yelling, perhaps, maybe, if she was constantly yelling, that's how I got away from it or from her words. Or that's how I coped in third standard with the way my maths teacher dealt with me or the bullies dealt with me in grade five. Each and every one of us in some, in, in some season of our life, in year of development, we found a coping mechanism or we found a way to circumvent the pain, the embarrassment, the bullying, the whatever. And I found that that works. At least it works for me. So I did it again and then I did it, did it again and the bully changed became a different person, but was still bullying. My mother never changed. She just became this or that. My teachers never changed. My situations never changed. But I found that these were the ways I protected myself. And I... It was just a coping mechanism. It started out in a good way. It started out by me being a tough kid. Me getting up off my and dusting my, my knees off and, you know, moving on. I was able to cope with it. I was able to figure third grade out. I was able to figure 10th grade out. Maybe dad never stood up for me, so I had to stand up for myself. And I created a sort of a pseudo me that helped me get through situations when my dad didn't stand up for me. Maybe I grew up in a family or in a situation where I never had a say. I never had a say. The moment I opened my mouth, I was, I was shut up right there. I wasn't given the right to have an opinion or my opinion didn't matter. So I found other ways and other people who will matter, to whom it will matter, even though they didn't matter, even though they used and abused that situation, I still found them and I went to them and I gave it to them. So I began to move my trust, trusted group of people, moved away from being my family or being my friends or being my church or being my small, I moved it to other people, other situations, maybe online, maybe online. Maybe my opinion never mattered because I've had it for so long, it's ingrained in me. It's tough to change. It's tough to change. I'm not here to help you feel sorry for yourself or for me to feel sorry for myself. But we've got to face certain things and look and put certain things in place. Are you with me? Yes, no, hallelujah. Yeah. If somebody falls asleep next to you, leave them. This is probably the best rest they will get through the whole week. My wife, every time late night when she's not getting sleep, she says, talk to me. Please don't know, talk to her about this. This is just me and you making a joke. Number two is because I identify with them. It's been so long a part of me, I have identified with them. I confuse my identity with my defects. How about that, yeah? I confuse my identity with my defects. I start calling myself by my defects. I'm a workaholic. Oh, that's just me. I'm a, I'm a workaholic. Or I'm passive, you know. Or I'm shy. Or I'm, I'm an overeater, you know. I'm an overeater. And turn it into a joke and then kind of get over with it, you know. Or I, I'm a loner. I'm a loner, you know. I do things on my own. I'm a loner. You've, that, that was a coping mechanism that you have now made a definition of your identity. That's not you. It's not you. Finish the sentence. Maybe it's just like me to be. It's just like me. Oh, that's so me. These defects are not your true identity. They are hiding your true identity. They are masking your true, true identity. And some of us have this fear that if I were to face up to it, if I were to change, if I were to make the adjustments or change, then you know what's going to happen? I might rock the boat. 
I might change things around me. People may not like me. They like the controlled me. They like the me that acquiesces. They like the me that is, is known by my defects because they've also adjusted to the guy with the defects. They've also made adjustments and they like me being like that and feeling sorry for myself or feeling or acting and living in my defects. They like it. So I don't want to lose them now as friends. I don't want to get unpopular perhaps. Will I still be me? Will I still be me when I make the changes? Because I've been so tied in to my own defects. I've identified with them. Let me give you a third one. A third reason why it takes so long and it's so hard to kick out the habits that define me. You know, every pattern has a payoff. The third reason is that every pattern has a payoff. If there weren't a payoff, you wouldn't be doing it. Anytime you do something over and over and over and over again, anytime you repeat yourself in your life, in your relationships, in your way of talking, in your mannerisms, there is a payoff somewhere. You're getting something out of it, otherwise you wouldn't do it. You're getting rewarded for doing that over and over again. So every time you yell and walk out the room, somehow there's a payoff. Somehow you get something. Somebody cooperates. Somebody works with you on that. Somebody gets scared. Some, every time you ignore people, they come running back to you. Oh, that's, this, work. Ooh, this works. Every time I hold back love, hold back affection from this other person, oh, this seems to work. Uh-huh. Let's, do, let's use this. And you're not doing it purposely. You're not sitting there scheming at 11 o'clock at night. How am I going to make this person's life miserable? You just intuitively know when I behave like this, this is what happens. At two years old, they've already figured you out. At two year, the two-year-old, the three-year-old has already figured out if I cry long enough, she will leave everything, get up and come. You know, if I shout loud enough or if I scream loud enough or if I'm silent enough or something, we figure out how to control people around us, how people respond to us. And therefore, those become payoffs. And when we see a payoff, we see a pattern. When we see a payoff, we see a pattern. Whatever gets rewarded gets repeated. Whatever gets rewarded gets repeated. So anytime any negative behavior is being repeated in you or in your people around you, there's probably a payoff. That's why we say don't give in. Don't give in to it. Don't give in to sulking. Don't give in to ranting. Don't give in to flying off the handle as my father used to put it. Don't give in to rage. These are all coping mechanisms that people have thought worked in the past and they shouldn't and cannot and could not work with you, must not work with you. So anytime a negative behavior is repeated over and over again, don't call that person a bad person, <coughs> don't feed it. And we don't want to help that person be defined by it. Maybe it's a stubborn pattern. Maybe it's a stubborn pattern, but that's actually masking my real pain. It's masking my anger. When I was a child, I was, talking about me, when I was a child, I was never allowed to get angry. I was never, my anger was never legitimate. It was always just sinful and wrong. I was never allowed. So I, in my growing up years, never learned how to express anger or let anger out in a proper way. Now, there are two types of 
outcomes to that. Either you blow up or you implode. Either you blow up or you implode. Now, if you're so scared of losing everybody's love around you and you're so, you have such a deep need to be liked, which is me, that's a need I grew up with, a deep need to be liked. I had to question myself whether I'm going into ministry for the right reasons, et cetera, et cetera. If you grew up like that, you're probably going to implode. And when you implode, you just get really resentful and sour and you start fighting the system on the inside out. Now, if you're a believer, then it becomes very confusing. So how to be a believer, how to be loving, how to be caring, how to be forgiving, how to be all of that. And at the same time, you don't know how to express legitimate anger, legitimate anger. So even when people did wrong to me or did said wrong things to me and I felt violated, I felt like my boundaries were violated. I felt that I was not taken, I was taken for granted. <coughs> I could never voice, because your opinion doesn't matter, Jerry. I could never express why are you raising your voice, Jerry? I could never be myself. And this is not blame on any one person. This is just my upbringing. This is just how I was. Maybe yours is the same. Maybe it's not. Maybe you were given too much freedom. Too much freedom. Everything about you was asked. You like yellow? You don't like yellow? You want green? You want green? You like yellow? You don't want green? Don't worry, beta. We'll, 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 get, we'll get you both. Maybe your parents were that daft that they gave you both. And they gave into every woman fancy of yours. And you found, oh, this works. This works. By four years old, you figured out that your mom's self-esteem is wrapped up in how you respond to her. And you start, you start working her, playing her. Maybe it's my stubborn pattern that's masking my pain. Maybe I'm constant compensating for my pain. Maybe I'm compensating for some fear. Maybe I'm compensating for some loss in my life. And that's how I deal with it. That's how I work with it. Maybe it's an attention getter. Every time I behave like this, I get attention. Every time I behave like this, everything around me comes to a standstill and I get everybody's attention. I can control people by this behavior. I can control responses by this behavior. This is the only way I found that I can get things done or I can get people to respond to me. If I can't get your permission, I'll get your attention. If I can't get your permission, I'll get your attention. Kids pick it up real quick. Teenagers work it. 20s, you, 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 you polish it. And by 30, you call yourself And there's a fourth reason why it's so hard to change is because Satan is active in your life as well. Satan is active in your life as well. You're not on your own in this matter. There are enemies, there are spiritual enemies, and Satan is trying to discourage you. If you love Jesus and you're trying to work out a Christian life in you, you're trying to work out the Christ, work out the Christ, life of Christ in you, it is by all means going to be discouraged. God, Satan is going to work morning, noon, and night to make you feel defeated. So you're not in this battle by yourself. He wants to keep you from becoming like Christ. There is an enemy who's a powerful enemy whose agenda is that you don't look and sound like Jesus. Because what Jesus' blood bought you for, the purpose for which he rose again, the purpose which he made you for to be and sound like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to carry the power and the, uh, the, uh, to be an heir of Christ, that is what he wants to destroy. So he wants to keep you from becoming. He wants to take your worst. Are you listening? He wants to take your worst and define you by that. You're unfaithful. See, see, you did it again. 
You're a liar. See, see, you did it again. You screwed up. He wants to take you by your worst and he wants to give, to, wants you to define yourself by it. Satan is a master psychologist. He's a spirit. He's a powerful being. He's one of the most powerful beings in heaven. And he is an enemy that is to be contended with. That he is to be reckoned with, with fear and trembling and not taken lightly. You can't play with Satan. And Satan is not playing. He's not playing a game. And he has one enemy, and that is Jesus. Second Adam. He took down the first Adam quite easily. Second Adam, he couldn't. He tried hard. So he goes for the replicas, the weaker ones, and he comes after you and me. So if he can destroy you, at least he can destroy his reputation and get to his heart by that. He has an agenda, and you are right in the line of fire. He wants to take your worst and define you by it. Every change starts in the mind. You knew that. Look at this passage of scripture. Let's work through this passage of scripture. And when scripture is working, when scripture is being read to you, understand that scripture has power that is in and of itself. The power is in the words, not in the, in the relevance. It's in the words. And the word of God is powerful. When it goes into your heart, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and does something deep and powerful inside you. And you've got to trust the process. Since you have heard all about Jesus, since you have heard all about Jesus and have learned the truth, underlying truth that is in him, throw off your evil, old evil nature and your former way of life. Throw it off, throw it off. What is rotten through and through, full of lust, full of deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts, a spiritual renewal of your attitudes. Note that down. There needs to be a restart, a reset, a spiritual renewal of your thoughts, the way you think about thinking, and the way you feel about feeling. You must put on a new nature, the way you think about thinking, and the way you feel about feeling. A new nature, because you are new. You're a new person. You're not the old guy. You are not the product of your past. You are not just a victim of your past. You're not just defined by your past. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So put away all falsehood and tell your neighbor the truth. That is, give your real self to your neighbor. Let your parents, let your friends, let your brothers and sisters, let your family, let your church see the real you. What? What real you? Not the past real you, but the new real you in Christ. So put away falsehood. And while you are still angry for anger, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Every time you get angry, you lose control. Every time you lose control, Satan goes to town, goes to work, goes to play. You cannot, Satan cannot do anything in your life if you will not hand over your mind to him. Satan cannot win any way in your life because, because he's a master psychologist. He cannot control your mind. He cannot control your mind. He's a master psychologist, which means he uses the same pathetic cheap tricks that a normal psychologist or a psychiatrist or a mind game or a mind bender or whatever these mentorists or whatever they do. They come to you through your browser. They come to you through your friends. They come to you through your advertisements. They come through to you through your media. And today as you browse, your brain is taking in more information that it has ever handled, that it can ever handle. It's being appealed to more than more, more pictures than you could ever handle. 
Your brain was not meant to handle that. And now your brain is processing unnecessary data that has been dumped on it. So it's never free to actually meditate. It's never free to meditate. It's now just coping. And Satan will use your surroundings and he knows where you go regularly. He knows where he's watching you and he knows where he go regularly. So he'll work you. He'll work you like a pathetic addict. When you give Satan a chance with your anger, you have lost control to the worst enemy on the face of the earth. And he is on the face of the earth. When you lose your temper, when you get resentful, when you get angry. Now, anger is not wrong. The emotion of anger is not wrong. The ability to get angry is not wrong. The reason behind getting angry is not wrong. God gets angry. God gave you the communicable uh, ability to get angry. And in doing so, he has allowed you to think through why you're feeling the way you're feeling. But when anger is your gut reaction to a loss of control, I don't like the way you're behaving. I can't change your behavior, so I get angry with you. I don't like the way things are going. I can't change the set of surroundings, so I get angry. Anger, 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 anger. You're so angry all the time that angry becomes normal. So when you are not angry anymore, you start looking for things to get angry because you're now addicted to anger. And when you're angry, Satan goes to play. Satan goes to play. You can make any change for a day. You can make a change for the week. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be chill. I'm going to be, okay. But you can't make it for a lifetime. You can't make it for a, a lasting change. For that, you need some requirements. For that, you need some requirements. So let me leave you with four requirements, and I'm going to leave you the notes so you can meditate on this and work on it through the week because you're smarter than that. You are someone who will go back to it because you're committed to your own growth. You're committed to your own Christ-likeness. Four requirements if you want change to be lasting. If you want change to not fail on you, you don't want to drop the ball this time. Personal change, you changing, you becoming more like Jesus. Number one, Change requires learning and facing the truth. Change requires coming face to face, eyeball to eyeball with what is true about you. What is true about you. That's the truth. We're not talking about universal truth. We're not talking about who God is. We're not talking about, you know, salvation. We're not talking about sin. We're talking about you, who you are. If you can't face that truth, you're probably not going to be able to face any other truth. Chances are that you can't handle that. The ability to handle the truth is the first skill you must learn in order to be an authentic, genuine person. So Proverbs 20, 23, 23, just wisdom says this, learn the truth and never reject it. Learn the truth and never reject it. That's in the NCV version. So change requires learning and facing the truth. The secret, the secret to permanent change is not willpower. It's not pills. It's not gimmicks. It's not mental games. It's not resolution. Start again, start again, start. It's not that. It's facing the truth it's about you, about growing up. It's about growing up. Change forever. Change, lasting change is about you growing up because you never grow back. You always continue to grow up. I can't grow back. I can't go back to being a child. I, I have passed that. When you know the truth, Jesus says the truth will set you free. So we live in denial, and that's not just pop psychology. We live in denial because we just will not face the truth. Now, the whole denial game, you know that. Psychology has thrown it in your face, and you know, 
in, in social media has talked, uh, talked about it, you know that. But what sin is, what God talks about, is your gut repression of your ability to face the truth. Romans chapter 1. For they have suppressed the truth in their wickedness. They have suppressed. I don't want to face the truth. In facing the truth, I'm going to have to come face to face with who I am and what I'm like and who God is and what he is like. And I don't want that. I know that if I know the truth, I'm going to have to make some adjustments. I know that if I know the truth, I'm going to have to face every fear, every rejection, every pain that I, that I worked to, to circumvent in second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. And when I have spent a lifetime coping and, and fi- figuring coping mechanisms, why, can I, why should I face the truth now? You're not sitting and thinking through this. This is just the way we are all programmed. We live in denial and we just won't face the truth. Isaiah 30 says, people say to God's messenger, this is back in the Old Testament, people say to God's prophets, they say to God's messenger, don't tell us the truth, just say the things that we will feel good about or make us feel good about ourselves, the things we want to hear. Let us keep our illusions. Again, that's the NC version. New century version. So even if we learn the truth, we don't necessarily want to face it. We want to know the truth, but we don't want the truth to set us free, quite literally. 1 John 1 says, when we claim we haven't sinned, when we claim to deny the truth, we're only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. Again, there it is. So here's the truth. We are all broken. Every single one of us, we're all broken. And that's the good news. We're all broken. We're all defected. We are all riddled and riveted with sinful desires. As God said about the people in the, in the Old Testament before the, the flood, he said every thought and intention of their heart was sinful. That's me. That's me. Tomorrow when you find out that I'm a sinner, or you see some sin in my life, don't look surprised. Jesus died on the cross for me. What do you think I did? I'm a vile sinner. I'm a wicked, vile sinner. Left to myself and outside of God's goodness, I have nothing good in me. And that is the truth. And I'm comfortable with it because of the hope of the resurrection, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the goodness of God, because I am supposed to be connected to God and goodness comes from him and not from me, I am humble enough, I can be humble enough to accept the fact that this is me. I can also be, uh, I can also be real enough to accept it because I know it, I, he doesn't leave me there. He doesn't leave me as there. He, as soon as I recognize that, he pulls me into his goodness. So if I have any good in me, it's come from him. Here's the truth. We are all broken. We are all defected. We are all riveted with sinful desires. And our sinful desires are nonstop and unrelenting. Unrelenting. So behind every self-defeating behavior is a lie I'm believing. Behind every self-defeating behavior, every kind of habit I have, there's some lie I've bought into, and that is why I went into that habit. That's why I allowed that habit to be formed in me, because it had a payoff, because of what I believed, what I thought was true. And when I think something is true and it's not true, and I come face to face with the truth, and I change the lie to a, to a truth, that's when I can really defeat my self-defeating behavior. Sanctify them with the truth, Jesus says in John 17, your word is truth. 
So when I read the Bible, God's truth, God, God's knowledge of what is true around me, about me, comes to me and I'm able to deal with it. Look at this beautiful passage of scripture. This is why God has put the Bible in your hands. This is why God wants you to open the Bible and read it every day. This is why he wants to speak to you through the word. And here it is. All scripture is inspired by God. You know what the mean inspire means? You know what the word inspire means? Ruah. It is the breath of God. All scripture is the yeah, way. It's the very person and life of God. So when God breathes in your directions, you receive the breath of life and you become a living being. All scripture is inspired by God. So when God speaks to you, it's not the words and the, and the facts and the figures. It is his, his, his wind. It's his breath coming your way. Receive the word of God as the life-giving power of God every day. Go to your quiet times, not as a, as a mental discipline, but as a spiritual resuscitation, life-giving spirit. And this scripture is useful to teach us, underline teach us, teach us what? What is true. To make us realize what is wrong. To help us straighten us out. And to teach us to do what is right. Four things. What does it do? Number one, teach us what is true. Number two, realize what is wrong. Number three, straighten us out. God knows some of us need that. And number four, teach us to do what is right when you have done what is wrong. Isn't that amazing? The second requirement, if you're going to make lasting change, if your changes are going to stick with you and going to actually change you, number two is lasting change requires new thinking. Got to think differently. You aren't what you think you are. You all know that. You aren't what you think you are, but what you think you are. You are the product of your thinking. You are the product of the way you think. You are the product of what you think about. Ephesians chapter, Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, therefore, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 23 says, Therefore, there must be spiritual renewal of your thoughts and your attitudes. Underline thoughts, underline attitudes. Constantly there needs to be a refreshing and a renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. Thoughts and attitudes. Somebody helped me to understand the sanctification process in an, in an analogy when I was much younger. When I was in my teens, early 20s, I can't remember what it was. But a person said that it was, like a, it was like a glass of dirty water. I'm like a glass of dirty water. And let's say the dirt, of course, is my sin, my, my, uh, my, my vi- all the violations that I have against God. It's a dirty glass. But when I bring that glass under the tap of God's clean water, his character, his character, right? As I, I'm filling a full glass, I'm filling a full glass, bring the full glass, all dirty water, under the clean water. Now you get the idea? You know what's going to happen, right? So you bring it under the clean water, and what's you, what do you have to do? Stay there long enough. Stay there long enough. And there's going to be a season of life, season of time, where the clean water is coming in and coming in and coming in, but the dirty water is still there. So just because you see dirty water, don't say, oh man, I'm a failure. It's over. Look at me. I'm a hypocrite. The clean water is coming in. And with all the clean water that's coming in, the dirty water is getting flushed out. And you give about, what, 70, 80 years for that glass to fill. Leave it to God to do the cleansing. Christians, leave it to God to do the cleansing in other Christians. Just love them anyway. 
Bring everybody to church and let God separate the wheat from the tares. Let's be a loving community. Let's be a community where the water of God's clean character is being poured out constantly and ours is being cleansed constantly. Are you with me? So you stay under that clean water and you'll have some dirty water and you'll see signs of it and you'll see impurities running around, rushing around. And sometimes it'll even come to the top. It must come to the top if it's going to overflow. You can take this analogy anywhere. You aren't what you think you are, but what you think you are. So I will not stop. I will not stop reading the word. I will not stop spending time with believers. I will not stop spending time in prayer. I will do everything I can to keep that water flowing. I am not trying to become a better person. God flowing his character into me is what makes me a better person. I'm not trying to clean the dirty water on my own. I just get under the tap and God's clean character flows through me. And sooner or later, and over a period of time, people will begin to see through you, see through you, and they'll know what God is doing in you. But it all begins with thinking. It all begins with renewing your mind. What you think results in an emotion. No emotion just comes up on its own. Ask a psychologist, ask a psychiatrist. No emotion just comes up on its own, unless I step on your foot. No emotion comes on its own. It always begins with a thought. And a thought leads to an emotion, and an emotion then leads to an action. No action ever was formed without some emotion behind it. You gotta want to do it. You gotta feel like doing it. Others, you will not do it. You and I are just programmed that way. So let the same mind and attitude, Paul says to the Philippines, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus putting others first. So these defects of yours, brothers and sisters, my friends, these defects of yours are often strengths that you've taken to an extreme. Often they are strengths that are taken to an extreme. They are not your weaknesses. They are your strengths, but you lost control of it. Is that making sense? Because you didn't have boundaries. Because you didn't have limits on yourself. Didn't have, didn't have self-control. Because, because of the weaknesses of others, your own strength went too, too far and it became a weakness. And the strengths are being misused. These so-called defects are often attempts to meet my unmet needs. I'm just using people and using the situation to meet my unmet needs because I don't, I'm not happy, I'm not complete. So you've got to change your thinking. And changing your thinking runs the risk of you changing who you think you are. Please, please. You're not going to do it until you feel the arms of God tight around you. Only when someone feels truly loved are they willing to change something about themselves. Do you know what I'm talking about? When a man loves a woman, when a woman loves a man, when a father loves a son, when a mother loves a child, only when you're truly loved will you feel freedom to make changes and to accept correction. So the love of God is what we talk about all the time. And the reason for that is psychological. So that when you understand and you feel the arms of God around you, then you feel the freedom to go change. If you've been told, you've been taught, you've been brought up to think that I have to go out on my own and I have to make the changes on my own, in my own strength and come back to, uh, to gain the love of God, come back to earn the love of God, some sorry soul has taught you a lie. Some sorry soul has taught you a lie. How do I know? Because Jesus shed his blood for you 2,022 years before you could hear the sermon. He shed his blood for you and he gave you all the love he had to the last, all he loved you to the very end, completely before you were born. So God is not looking for anything from you. 
don't hear what I'm not saying. God is not looking for anything from you. He wants you to receive his love and that love will make the changes in you. Number three, lasting changes require community and coaching. Lasting changes require community. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own. You must not do it on your own. God never created you all alone. He made Adam who was perfect and the next sentence to come out of God's mouth was, it's not good for him to be alone. He was perfect. He was like, I'm the greatest man in the world. And he was right. And then the woman came along and he was no more the greatest man in the world. Even though he was the only man in the world. How about that? Putting away all falsehood. Tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other. That's the context in which God's love flows. That's the context in which real change happens. By helping each other with our troubles, you truly obey the law of Christ. We always grow faster with a coach. We always grow far. I'm almost done. Stick with me. We always grow faster with a coach, with a tutor, with a trainer. Even champions. Shahrukh Khan himself has a coach. Everybody, and you are a super celebrity if you are the coach of a celebrity. Everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs a trainer. They earn more money to train. Online, offline, inline, whatever. We only grow faster. We always grow faster when we have a tutor, when we have a trainer, when we have. So every Joshua needs a Moses. Every Timothy needs a Paul. Every disciple needs a discipler. Every member needs a small group. You need people. You need people. So there are so many of these one-on-one examples in the Bible. Five to be precise. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, look at what it says. It says, Christ gifted some of us to be apostles, pastors, sorry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So that, so that, two things. So that, don't forget this. His people would do what? Learn. And number two, grow. So his people would learn, his people would grow. God has put these things in place. God has given you pastors to help you grow. God has given you pastors and leaders and prophets and, 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 and apostles from the very beginning of time to help you grow. This will continue until we're united by faith and understand the Son of God. Then we will be what? Mature and we will be like him. We will be mature and we'll be like him. Last thing to encourage you before you leave. And I really hope you're taking notes on your heart. Write it on your heart. Number four is this. Lasting change requires the Holy Spirit. It requires the Holy Spirit. Please do not do this on your own. It's not a work that you can do on your own. Please do not get discouraged. Please do not give up. This is not something you need and can do on your own. It is the life of Christ that you're trying to flow in you. It's the life of Christ that you're trying to change into. You can't do this on your own. You don't even know what the life of Christ looks like. You don't even know what holiness looks like. So only God can make a bigot into a loving person. You you agree with me on that? Only God can make a bigot into a loving person. Only God can turn a miser into a generous person, a conjuice into into a generous person. Only God can turn a deceiver into a truthful person. Willpower, uh uh-uh. You can't do it. You cannot do this. You mustn't try. And it's not proud or humble or defeatist to say, oh, I can't do it. It's a good thing. It's the smartest thing. Willpower is not enough. It takes the power of God to change you into Jesus Christ, to make you like Christ. 
You didn't get your hurts and your habits overnight. They're not going to go away overnight. Remember the dirty water, clean water? It's going to take time. Failure, you're going to fall, you're going to get up again, and you're going to keep repenting, and you're going to keep coming, which is why we must pray, we must worship, we must ask for repentance, we must come to the Lord over and over again and ask God, wash us, cleanse us, make us more like you, and go back home. If you're defeated, come back, start again. Give people hugs. Give people the love of God. When you hug someone, pray over them. When you hug someone, put a hedge around them, say, Satan, this person is God's. This person doesn't belong to you. Stop playing around with this person. These are the prayers I pray when I hug you on Sunday morning. God is patient with you so many years. You be patient with yourself. It's a lifetime program. This whole life is God's program of preparing you for eternity, preparing you for heaven. You know what you can't do in heaven? Trust God. In, in heaven, there's no opportunity to trust God. In heaven, there's no opportunity to use suffering. A brilliant young girl asked me day for yesterday, she said, why do you say suffering is okay? What about the kids who died in the Auschwitz? There's a difference between torture, difference between injustice and suffering. Suffering is when life is hard and you allow God to use that to bring out Christ in you. Torture and pain, storms and fire is not God trying to bring out Christ in you. That's just life with the sinful way life is. And God carries you through those times. God carries, he goes through with it, with you. If God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. God carries you through, he goes through that suffering and pain and hurt and he cries with you. He doesn't take it away for some good reason, but he cries with you and he hurts with you through that. If God has been patient, it's because he's at work. If he trusts his work, you trust his work. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, God is at work in our lives. He who has begun a good work in me will bring it to completion at the end. And God has not yet failed a single thing he's ever tried to start. And you are that project. You are God's project. And you are going to succeed because God is at work in your life. Not because you are trying God's at work in his life. And for the, because Jesus did what he did, because Jesus shed his blood for you, God will make sure that God, Christ's investment is not wasted. So God is not looking at you. Oh, you failed again, huh? Failed again. See, I told you. You can't do anything. You, I told you, you're like that only. God is doing what he's doing in your life because of Jesus, not because of you. So come to church and praise Jesus. And as you praise Jesus, Jesus will be exalted in your life. He will be exalted in your life. This is the word of the Lord. You will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God's work, God's spirit is actively involved in you. When you deal with believers, be careful to judge, be careful to condemn, because God is actively at work in them. If you went to a master uh, uh, painter, a master artist, if you went to who's halfway done, if you went to an artist, a sculptor who's halfway done, and you know this ma he's a master sculptor, he's a master painter, he's a master builder, and you go halfway, what is, what is this? You stand there. You mock that. You're the idiot. 
As the spirit of the Lord works within me, we become more and more like him. Read it with me. As the spirit of the Lord works within me, we become more and more like him. Do your business with God. Drop your head for a minute and say, God, this is what I have understood so far. This is what I want to do. This is my response. Make an I will statement. This, way, this week, this coming year, I will, and finish the sentence. Write it down somewhere. Write the date to it. Honor the work of God in your life. Hi, I'm Jeremy Dawson. And if you liked what you just saw, if it was a blessing, then hit the subscribe button. Come on, you can do it. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us. Lots of videos coming your way. Songs, worship, encouragement. Come on, subscribe. Let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know. Write a comment in the section below. But let's see you guys again. Come on, subscribe.